0: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with our host, Steve Krupa. Hey Steve.
1: Hi Tom, how are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Uh, you did. You, we we managed to avoid the sweep of the Yanks, so congratulations yep. on that.
1: Thank you, thank you. Uh, we are. We're, in first we're happy place. to. We're happy to beat the Orioles time for you.
0: We could use the help with them. Yes, <laughs> they they're they're pretty sticky, but we've got a, a middle reliever turned third starter from uh, San Diego, so there's no stopping us now.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So let's get into this, this interview. It's a great interview with, uh, with Zoe Barry from ZappRx. And yeah. uh, it's two areas we haven't really touched on before, orphan diseases and specialty pharma. But before we get into the company itself, she tells a, a really compelling story about sort of how she found her way to healthcare. And And, and you asked a great question to, to get us there. Do you have a, a, an experience? What, did, was there something in your personal life that led you to get involved in healthcare, or was it just serendipitous?
1: I think for me it was more serendipitous. Her her story is is pretty substantial, right? Yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, obviously, everybody deals with you know disease with their family members as they age, um, but but uh, but I, and I don't want to steal the story from the listeners. No, no, we'll let them, But we'll it's let it's a listen. very very interesting thing that that sort of created a, a passion for her to do this, and it was a specialty drug related um, experience. And so it sounds like she's trying to solve a problem she wished was solved a long time ago uh, when her, uh, I guess it was her brother, ran into some, some difficulty. And we'll,
0: and we'll leave that at that. But what do you think of the, the, the company itself? Give us the 30-second uh, uh, overview of the company. And, and how do you view it as an investor? Because I, I haven't gone into it in depth, but this is a, this sort of was tried with the so-called e-health uh, uh, era of, of over a decade ago, at least uh, the concept of having... Yeah the online platform for, for buying these sort of things. But clearly we're far advanced in technology and, and in business practice, so so I'm guessing there's a lot more meat to this than there was back in the day. Well, listen, I, I think she does a good job of solving the problem,
1: I mean uh, describing the problem, and, and, and she's proposing to, to use technology to solve it, and, and all of those t- things you know, line up nicely. I mean, the problem is all about uh, getting access to these drugs in, in order to get access to the drugs you have to demonstrate a need for them because they're extremely expensive and they're difficult, to, they're difficult to administer. And you know she wants to use cloud-based computing and really administrative automation uh, to try to resolve those issues. And it seems like if you have two parties or three parties that have a desire to have a problem solved, and certainly the provider has administrative overhead here, the patient wants the drug, and frankly the insurance companies should want the patient on the drug because the drug is going to stabilize their disease and, and, and lead to you know fewer costs uh, on the medical side. Mm-hmm. So I think all that adds up to a problem worth solving. And if you probably sketched out uh, any solution to it, it's going to be technology that's going to step in and, and resolve that. So from just those aspects, I think it's an interesting idea. And I, I think she describes it in a way that where people will be like, yeah, this is something I hadn't thought of. Uh, and probably a unique opportunity, and, and, and you know, really worth worth learning more about.
0: Excellent. Well, it is a it is a great story, and, and it's a, a great interview by you. So let's not stand in the way of it. Let's yeah. uh, get into this interview with Zoe Barry, founder and CEO of ZapRX.
1: Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Zoe Barry from ZapRX. Welcome to the show, Zoe.
2: Hi, thank you for having
1: me. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk uh, uh, about something I think we have not really covered before uh, on the show, which is uh, specialty pharmaceuticals. There's a uh, there's a claim that we're moving into a a new era of uh, specialized and personalized medicine, and uh, my friends tell me specialty pharmaceuticals are going to play an impact on that. Um, so I'd like to start right into it since I think it's a subject matter the listeners. I haven't heard much about. So tell me about specialty pharmaceuticals and why it's and why it's a big deal and why you've built a company out of trying to make that market better.
2: Sure. So I guess I'll start by uh, defining a specialty drug. There's really no set industry definition. There're specialty drugs or advanced therapy medications, cell therapy, gene therapy, etc. Uh, but in general, when you're talking about a specialty drug, uh, for starters, you're not talking about POT, so you're really looking at uh, <laughs> FDA approved therapies. Right. Um, they are uh, all high cost medications. So um, on the low end, it'll be a drug that's around $4,000 per patient per therapy per year, and then all the way up at the high end is about $750,000 per patient, per therapy, per year. These drugs are not a pill or a cream that you can pick up in an hour at your local pharmacy. Rather, they are um, sub-Q injectables, infused therapies, inhaled therapies. Um, you know, one, one disease we work with, which is pulmonary arterial hypertension, uh, one of the drugs uh, basically comes as a powder. You reconstitute the powder as a patient. You mix it, you put it into a syringe, and then you inject that syringe directly into three catheters that are in your heart. Um, so, again, just the type of medication that it is uh, not a pill or a cream, sort of um, large molecule drugs, and they are very expensive. They have limited distribution, and, um, you know, they're life saving therapies. Yeah. very, very new and novel, life-saving, life-altering therapies.
1: How, how big do people think the market is for these drugs today? Um, you know,
2: we're looking at a specialties growing at about three, thirteen and a half percent annual CAGR, and probably about about a five hundred billion dollar market by you know 2022 or something. So it's a it was a was hundred billion dollar market and is growing hand over fist.
1: So just give me a quick example of what, what would be a $750,000-a-year therapy?
2: Something that treats an orphan condition. So one reason that specialty is exploding is because of the Rare and Orphan Disease Act. And maybe I should pause there or take a step back and just define what that is. Mm-hmm. An orphan disease um, is a disease where there are fewer than 200,000 patients uh, in the U.S. And historically, pharmaceutical companies did not want to spend time uh, manufacturing drugs for orphan conditions because there was not much of a market. You see some diseases where there are only 10,000 patients uh, that have a a disease. So 200,000 is the cap, and then it it whittles down from there. If you are a pharmaceutical company, you know, it costs a billion dollars to bring a drug to market. It becomes very hard to, uh, you know, turn a margin if there's only 10,000 patients. So historically, pharmaceutical companies shied away. From uh, manufacturing these drugs, then there was a big public outcry, um, a lot of marketing campaigns, and the FDA uh, created the Rare and Orphan Disease Act a few years back, and that essentially gave a lot of protections to pharmaceutical companies. Uh, they have fast; they can fast track the drugs, so they don't have to go through phase two, three, four clinical trials. That's very important because often there are so few patients, you literally can't really even test into a phase three or phase four clinical trial. And you want to get these drugs approved as quickly as possible for these patients because they often have no other alternatives, no other therapies or medications that they can, they can take. So uh, longer patent lives. And then pricing, um, you know, most orphan drugs are, are being priced at over $100,000 or $150,000. So if you get to a very small patient population, you see drugs that are at the tipping point of over $500,000 or over $750,000. And is,
1: uh, is, is that covered by Medicaid or Medicare for these particular patients? Because it's a lot of money.
2: Yes. Um, you, typically, these, these drugs, when you deal with formularies, uh, insurance is, is putting these drugs on formulary. And if they are not then there are patient assistance programs, which is essentially financial aid to help with the, with the coverage of these drugs. Again, a lot of, uh, insurance companies, you know, they've, they've got their actuarials and they're, they're very, um, cost sensitive. You take a look at some of these patients and it costs more to not pay for the drug. So again, we've done a lot of work in pulmonary arterial hypertension and our stats show that the average pH patient makes something like 40 uh, to 50 hospital visits a year. Wow. So that's almost one per week. And the drugs cost, are at the one oral just launched is $170,000. But if you compare the cost of not paying for the drug and then paying for that many hospital visits, almost one per week, at a certain point, it becomes less expensive to cover the cost of the drug. And it certainly leads to a better outcome for the patient, um, better quality of life, things that are very important
1: and um, should not be ignored. Sure. Just a couple more questions just to give some some more essential aspects about the market. So I'm guessing at these price levels, obviously one way to build a market big enough uh, to to warrant research and development is to have higher prices so you get sort of at the same place. Uh, But I'm assuming that even though there are public assistance funding for these therapies, that there is or isn't significant regulation on pricing.
0: Um, but there's also,
2: I just want to clarify something, there's also the patient assistance programs are are private uh, foundations, and that will really help cover the cost of the drugs. So the idea is to never deny patient access to a specialty medication if they cannot pay for it or if there are challenges with reimbursement and in the insurance companies. In terms of pricing, uh, you know, that's very much more of an art versus a science pharmaceutical companies do a lot of studies uh, to try to show uh, the outcomes for patients. I think you'll probably hear a buzzword starting now called real-world evidence, which is, you know, what is the actual real-world evidence that shows a patient is having a healthier outcome? And by paying for a very costly medication, you've actually reduced overall cost to the patient and healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And that's, Real-world evidence is becoming a trend that's very hot in specialty right now because of the negotiations that are going back and forth as it relates to pricing uh, between the pharmaceutical companies and the payers.
1: Okay. So how did you come to this market? What, what problems are in the market that you're planning to solve?
2: Sure. So I came to this market very much from the patient experience, and it was sort of an accident, I would say. So I stumbled into it. You, you probably hear many entrepreneurs saying they were solving a problem they faced themselves, mm-hmm. uh, and that was, that was certainly the case for me. So um, my youngest brother was uh, diagnosed with severe epilepsy when he was five years old, and he was a totally healthy uh, child, uh, you know, running around, um, having fun, you know, growing, um, healthy in every regard. And he started having these seizures and he began to deteriorate. Uh, and it took nine months before he was officially diagnosed. So he saw three specialists in that time period. Each one had a three month wait. So you know, first a pediatrician, a neurologist, a pediatric neurologist, and then it took another six months to actually get him on therapy, from that point. So if you recall in the beginning of our conversation, I said specialty drugs are not drugs that are pills or creams that you can just pick up at any pharmacy an hour later. There's very much a, a reimbursement gauntlet that one must go through and then an onboarding process, uh, patient education on how to take these therapies and, and how to administer them. And that all feeds into delays and in access for patients. So you know, essentially, almost a year and a half later, my brother uh, was on successfully on therapy and the seizures stopped, and he was able to make a full recovery. But in that time period uh, of waiting to get on drug, he began to develop a stutter, he had short term memory loss, uh, he couldn't learn how to read, he didn't remember what happened the day before, which was devastating. And in that entire time period, he was at risk for a seizure so severe that he would have um, permanent irreversible brain damage. So we literally waited every day, hoping and praying that that would not happen to him. And we were very, very lucky. So I founded ZapRx coming at the perspective of why is it that when a patient is very sick and needs a medication that you read about it, um, you know, is is life-altering and potentially life-saving... And why is it so hard to get access to that, that drug? And that was the, the premise for starting Zapparex to make it easier, faster, and more transparent for patients to get on these medications.
1: Yeah, so, so let's start there. Um, first of all, wow, what a story. And it's, it's not unusual, frankly, for entrepreneurs in healthcare to have a personal story that sort of led them to wonder how they can, can solve the problem. So I think it's amazing that you're applying yourself to this to this problem. After what you experienced, but why is it why is it so hard? What are the difficulties around getting getting to these uh, therapies and and how, how do you think you're going to be able to solve that?
2: Sure. so there are lots of challenges um, and I was trying not to get too technical here, um, but as you may know, there's lots that that is not automated in healthcare and healthcare software and technology is woefully behind the (laughs) times to (laughs) compare it to what what we've seen in travel or even finally banking and payments. I mean, look at Venmo, you know, trouncing, PayPal, etc. But essentially, uh, e-prescribing, which is um, a way to electronically generate a prescription, the technology that powers that today is a one-way API, which means it's the equivalent of a doctor emailing a pharmacist and a pharmacist not being able to reply to that email. It's not really a big deal if you're prescribing a medication that's a traditional retail drug like birth control or Lipitor or a ZPAC, but it is a big deal if you're trying to prescribe a $100,000 medication. Insurance companies require lots of additional information in order to cover the cost of these drugs. That was some of the real-world evidence um, that you and I were talking about earlier. So if you've ever dealt with a car claim or a home claim for $10,000, $20,000 that was one-off, imagine dealing with something that's going to be annual recurring at $100,000, and you may need combination therapy on top of that. So overall, the patient, you're probably taking, you know, $300,000 plus worth of drugs. So insurance requires a lot of information. So they require lab tests, diagnostics, proof-of-fail therapy, prior authorization, I mentioned that some of these drugs get approved and are fast-tracked so they don't go through the full gamut of clinical trials. The FDA has created a REMS program. REMS stands for Risk Evaluation Mitigation Strategy. It's essentially a fancy way of saying patient consent. And patients will consent to taking a therapy that has not been Quote, fully tested or gone through the same clinical rigorous clinical trial process as, you know, uh, Lipitor has, for example, <clears throat> because there's no other therapy in the market, there aren't enough patients to test, and uh, there's no other therapy, so you want to get them on a, on a drug as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So you compile all this information and add on top of it the complexity of distribution and payer networks. Which means, I mentioned, not all these drugs are, you know, readily available. They're not going to be dispensed at your traditional retail pharmacy on the street corner. So they're going to be limited distribution drugs. Which pharmacy has them? Uh, how do you get the order to that pharmacy? Uh, is that pharmacy in network with that payer? Your insurance, do they approve that pharmacy or not? Uh, you go through all of those challenges, and what we've uh, uncovered is that you just really can't uh, e-prescribe these medications, and so it forces the doctors and nurses outside of their EMR, and they start manually filling out paperwork, and that's where you really begin to see the the problems start that ZapRX um, is striving to solve.
1: So, if I can, if I think about this, and and by the way, I I, I listened to that. That uh, that list of issues. <laughs> what really happens is, right? Th- these these patients that are going to get prescribed these therapies, they will become case management patients at a, if if they're uh, you know getting reimbursement from a, from an insurance company just by virtue of the cost of the drug. I mean, the moment that prescription, if you will, crosses uh, through to the payer and they see a hundred thousand dollar a year price tag on that then that becomes a very interesting patient to them and they're going to get involved with pretty much every every expenditure for that patient going forward. Yep. So is it is it your idea that you can begin to sort of anticipate the red tape if you will for lack of a better word and be be prepared with the data, the information, the forms and so forth so that when that patient presents themselves you will become sort of there ombudsman in the process of getting the therapy. Is that the idea? Yes,
2: yeah. So that's exactly accurate. So what we looked at today um, and we went and visited many clinics and spent many, a lot of time researching and, and sort of as an anthropology project, understanding the, the life journey of a prescription and um, all the stakeholders that touch that prescription. And we do call it the fulfillment gauntlet. Mm-hmm. But you start with compiling all that information. What we found was that it's an average of three and a half minutes per page, uh, 19.2 minutes on average to compile a specialty prescription order. That 19.2 minutes is not done in one sitting. Rather, it's done over the course of 10 days. So before a nurse or doctor to even complete an order and fax it to a pharmacy, on average, our surveys show that it was taking about 10 days to compile the order and send to the pharmacy, which is astounding.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And it's more or less just the fact that the very nature of the order is is creating a disruption to somebody's workflow or many people's workflow, right? They have to stop what they would ordinarily be doing and pay attention to this odd situation that comes that comes across their desk
2: and and some people may be listening and thinking well that's just crazy you'd think you'd get better at filling out these orders if you saw a couple of patients and you prescribed the drug beforehand so i'll just note that every insurance uh they don't have all 100 of the same requirements so it's very much a make-your-own adventure. You know, pulling together what's going to be required for this drug for this payer.
0: Tom here. I'm going to take a quick break and talk real fast because I don't want to take too much time away from this conversation with Zoe Barry. I hope you'll join us at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. It's happening on November second in Boston at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. We've got a few. Uh, I've got an email this morning about one really a home run of a of a keynote speaker. Uh, obviously I'm not going to say anything more because it's not locked down yet, but I was excited when I read it, and I'm sure you'll be excited at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. We sold out last year, and uh, we'll probably sell it again this year, so don't wait too long. And uh, as a thank you for listening, we are offering the Breaking Health podcast code, so when you are registering, type in Breaking Health, and you'll save yourself just a little bit of money. Now back to this conversation. So, are you
1: offering the product to the providers? Are you offering the product to patients payers? Who is the uh, the target audience for this product?
2: Yep. Yeah, so uh, I'll say this with the caveat that not all uh, no great company was built in a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we started with uh, the provider side. And what we do is look at a specialty disease and we put one hundred percent of all specialty drugs on our platform, and then have a rules engine that basically says, this drug, this insurance, this is the information that's required, and we guide the doctor um, and help reduce the uh, the actual guesswork. Our, our tool has been able to show that we can generate a prescription in uh, about two minutes, which is down from the 20 minutes that it was taking previously, and we are 95% accurate when sending it to the specialty pharmacy compared with um, about... of prescriptions are uh, rejected or sent to the wrong pharmacy uh, today, and 50% require additional information if done manually and sent to the pharmacy today. So we've started with the provider side, and we are continuing to to build the product. We are beginning conversations now with specialty pharmacies. They really see the value in receiving accurate prescriptions. I could go into many details about specialty pharmacies and their um, trials and tribulations on their side, receiving prescriptions that are inaccurate, illegible, filled out manually. Everyone's heard how poor doctors' handwriting is. Right. The amount of time they spend going back and forth. On average, every prescription uh, needs 3.9 touch points, and it's about a day and a half turnaround uh, minimum per touch point.
1: So the specialty pharmacies are are who ultimately gets. The prescription, is it, is it up to them at that point to get the utilization management, get through utilization management and case management at the payer? Or are you providing that services as well?
2: Yep, yeah, so that is uh, the specialty pharmacy deals with the insurance company. We have we have not built out a payer strategy yet. Mm-hmm. To be very candid, we initially thought the payers were really going to hate ZapRx because you could look at this and say they are banking on the fact that it takes 30 plus days to get a prescription through the process. Therefore, they don't have to cover. They only have to cover 11 months versus 12 months um, of drug for a patient. So we take care of all the sort of mess that happens between the doctor and the pharmacy. What we've found is that the payers are actually reaching out to us and are eager to work with us because they want to get these patients on these therapies faster because they are looking at it from their side saying, it's more expensive to not cover these patients that are very high risk and they need to get on therapy as quickly as possible. I'd say that was something that, basically learned uh or refined our perspective on in the past year and that's been very exciting we're just in very some very early conversations with a couple of payers uh which is exciting to see that there's uh utility for our platform and our tool beyond just the the payers uh, sorry beyond just the providers and the pharmacies and, and into the payers uh as well
1: that's that's very cool um, so it seems to me, if I understand what, the service that you're providing, you're actually delivering value to all three of the constituencies, right? On the provider side, you're saving them the time and the effort of preparing the, the prescription. On the specialty pharmacy side, you're delivering a completed prescription so it's easy f- for them to get reimbursed and, and, and get the drug to the patient. On the payer side, I th- I think it's correct. I th- I think payers have evolved to realizing that large cases are much more about uh, you know getting um, the 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 patients on appropriate therapies because the cost of not being on the therapies, if you are evidenced, and I'm trying to remember your acronym.
2: Oh, real world evidence. <laughs> real world evidence.
1: If the real world evidence is in fact true, then being on the therapy is cheaper than not being on the therapy. And then, of course, the patient benefits uh, uh, so that the situation that you experienced with your, with your brother doesn't have to take place where they suffer on their way to getting treatment. Exactly. You know, that's sort of the measure, from my perspective, of a good business idea in healthcare. If you can get, deliver value to each one of those parties, um, you've got a very good shot at, at having a good business. When did you get started? When did this all come together?
2: Yep, so I uh, I worked uh I did a short stint at Athena Health with uh-huh. uh, everyone's favorite John Bush yep. uh in 2011 and then I left Athena and founded ZapRx in 2012. So, been at it for a couple of years now. I am a sole founder, so I spent the first year of ZapRx um, you know, doing the entrepreneur hustle. Sure. <laughs> I sure. Ate, ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh at my kitchen table. I took the Fung Law bus back and forth between Boston and New York, if you can believe that, mm-hmm. uh, since been shut down. I was able to raise $160,000 in friends and family um, financing at, at that point in, in uh, 2012 and then was backed by Atlas Ventures in 2013
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so raised some seed money and then we did a Series A and we've raised just over $12 million so far. All right. So, yeah, it's been been very exciting. Can you Uh, tell us who you
1: raised the money from, or is it still a secret? Oh,
2: sure. I'm sorry. Uh, SR1, which is the venture arm to GlaxoSmithKline. Ah. So uh, the pharmaceutical companies, you know, very much understand these problems of, you know, investing in a drug that's going to be, you know, not not blockbuster by the traditional uh, term blockbuster, but blockbuster by sort of the new age term, with these orphan rare diseases and specialty drugs. And they are very frustrated by the process of getting the, the drugs that they've created and gotten approved and get, getting them to patients and they live and breathe this.
1: Yeah. So I've got got a couple of questions just based on those, those points. First of all, the, 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 I'm, I'm assuming that uh, management at Athena health know what you're up to. Hopefully they're supporting you.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, most <laughs> definitely. I mean, we're, work, we're working on some some fun stuff with them, and I'm actually going to be heading over to Athena later on today. And I have a, a huge amount of respect for uh, John Bush and what he's built with Athena Health, and um, I'm excited to, to have Zapporex be uh, you know potentially part of that soon.
1: So in 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 light of the of the comment that you made, you know, no, no company is built in a day. Give me a sense for your vision as to where you'd like to see your business go and uh, as, as you begin to expand your capabilities uh, into, into this market?
0: Yep.
2: So, you know, high up on our priority list is uh, integrating and working directly with the specialty pharmacies. Our goal is to get fully bidirectional electronic communication between doctors and pharmacists. So right now the, it's, the provider side is electronic from what they experience and what they see. But we want to really make that truly electronic as opposed to sort of fake, <laughs> fake bi directional, um, and get those two stakeholders fully connected. So that's uh, number one on our priority list. You know, nothing happens quickly in healthcare, so wrangling the big guys on the specialty pharmacy side takes a while. It's very much an enterprise sales cycle, but we've had very positive conversations with uh, the top three largest specialty pharmacy companies. And so that's been very exciting. Part of our vision is to make it um, easier, faster, and more transparent for the patient to know where their drug is in the process. So we've actually built a patient app, which we'll be launching soon. We affectionately call it the Domino's Pizza Tracker <laughs> for $100,000 medications. Uh, we've had patients reach out to us um, on Twitter, social media, desperate to know where their drugs are. And they're in diseases that we haven't built yet so we built uh, the platform for pulmonary arterial hypertension um, and launched that platform uh, which is an orphan condition Uh, and then we we have two more that we are launching this year and we'll be raising money to uh, build out more of the uh, and hit more indications going forward we've mapped out the, the top five largest ones and basically, we'll be building an uh, overall commercialization strategy to hit all the specialty drugs. My personal goal is to cover 100% of all specialty drugs in two years. My chief commercial officer, you know, sort of uh, pushes back on that and says, you know, let's make sure it's all the relevant ones. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and uh, I, just so you know, I hired Lori Carr, who was at Walgreens Specialty Pharmacy. She, she ran specialty there, um, so managed, you know, about a $9 billion P&L and has you know really lived firsthand what it's like to be on the specialty pharmacy side. And before that, she was at uh, Millennium, now Takeda, which had oncology products. And so she's seen the challenges from multiple stakeholder perspectives and uh, only joined Zapparex a, a couple months ago. So excited to have her on board.
1: Terrific. Uh, how, many, how many indications or how many drugs are there that you need to build out to get to 100%?
2: Uh, so that's an interesting question because it depends how you ca- characterize it. So there's five, what we call five major um, category areas, so larger therapeutic categories, which is uh, pulmonary, oncology, rheumatology, and neurology. Mm-hmm. And then there are subindications underneath that. So if you look at rheumatology, there's rheumatoid arthritis, endolosing spondylitis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, lupus all fall under that. So we're when I when I look at it, I want to cover all of rheumatology. And we didn't touch on what exists in the marketplace today um, so much, but perhaps if it's helpful, I can share that today the way pharmaceutical companies are solving for the challenges of getting these specialty drugs to patients is by building hubs. And hubs will support ordering and fulfillment of just one product. So whatever specialty product um is that that pharmaceutical company has manufactured, and the idea is that hubs are a concierge service uh, that will help shepherd a drug through the fulfillment process—that
0: mm-hmm.
2: was a great idea ten years ago when there were very few specialty products. But now that you've seen the um, you know specialty just um, basically the market explode, and I mean that in a good way—you see you know a hundred drugs, hundred portals, and doctors just stop using them. And uh, drugs might be used across multiple indications, because again uh, given the the fact that these diseases are so complicated, you actually do see the drugs being used cross indications, which is unique and, and interesting mm-hmm. but our approach of putting all specialty drugs on a platform and having one stop shopping for the doctors is uh, is very novel in solving the problems in specialties
1: very good so last set of questions here I, I It's always very interesting to me. I think you've given us a good Background on how you got into this, but now that you're in it, um, <laughs> the first question I would say is
2: in it to win it. In it
1: to win it, exactly. Um, the first thing is is that you know nobody gets to have a market all to themselves. You know, you, you know people are going to enter in, and and competition will ensue uh, across any good idea. As you think about your business, where do you think you've got a uh, competitive advantage? What, what, where are you building out your differentiating capabilities, uh, so when that competition starts coming at you, you will be uh, well positioned.
2: Yep. So that's a great, great question. Uh, thank you for for asking that. So I often joke that our greatest competition right now is the fax machine, <laughs> which is uh, rampant in healthcare. And uh, one of our headlines for Zapper X had been uh, "Turn off the fax machine." And so, you know, I don't, I don't assume that the facts are going to continue to be my, uh, my competition going forward. But one thing I wanted to share, you know, I didn't talk too much about my, the team and some of the people that have joined ZapRx, but we, know, we talk a lot about healthcare being woefully behind the times and uh, there's a dearth of technology in healthcare. Um, one thing I've done is hire a really robust tech team. So I hired Scott McKay, was the chief architect of uh, ITA software and actually uh, helped uh, bring dot-com number one to to market. Uh, So he's a very seasoned technologist, um, disrupted and innovated a lot of industries, and ITA uh, was actually a a software company that helped um, revolutionize the way airplane tickets are booked. So if you've ever used Google Flight Tracker, that was the ITA um, technology, and Google had acquired ITA for just under a billion dollars in 2011. One thing that I've done uh, to maintain our competitive edge uh, is really our, my focus on bringing true technology, uh, true, true, fully uh, bi-directional electronic technology to market, and that's the long-term vision for ZappRX. It, uh, it's actually harder to execute on uh, than most people would, would think, uh, given the hurdles and challenges in healthcare. But I did convince a a large group of Google engineers uh, to leave Google Mm -hmm. in 2014 and and come join ZapRx. And so my first, uh, you know, method of of starving the competition, so to speak, is to to hire really great engineers that are behind the mission of ZapRx. And then I have to say, you know, in full honesty, in healthcare, it is very hard to execute and uh, very challenging because ZapRx has buy-in from so many stakeholders this is very much a, a company of, of partnerships, deals uh, and acquisitions, and so our long-term focus on growth and my long-term focus on growth will be executing uh, in those channels. So uh, competition is healthy. Uh, you know right now I'm enjoying uh, the fax machine as a competition, but I don't expect yeah. that to, to stick around going
1: forward. Cool. Last question, when you start your own company, it's a, it's a little bit like uh, founding your own country. You know, you get to, to to create create your own sort of uh, constitution and culture, and every every CEO and every entrepreneur has a different uh, approach to that. What's What's your culture like there? And obviously, it must be pretty cool if the Google guys came on board.
2: Yeah, we definitely have um, some perks that uh, line up uh, with the Google guys: uh, uh, unlimited vacation days, and flexible office hours although I find that having those perks has resulted in people being absolute workaholics right. <laughs> and uh, not necessarily unplugging as much as they should. But when I hire people, I really look to see if they meet uh, three core tenets of, of Zapparax that's foundational to our culture. So I'm looking at this poster that's in my office right now, and there are three circles, sort of a Venn diagram, if you will. And one says, dream big. One says, know how to have fun. And the third one says, get shit done. Ah. And in the middle is our logo and a line that says, people I most enjoy working with. So, you know, we, we work in, incredibly hard, um, uh, certainly got people who, uh, are, are on, uh, you know, late, late at night, early in the morning, burning the, the candle at both ends, but it's so exciting and exhilarating when we see the results with getting patients on these drugs and the testimonials that we have from the patients and from the doctors. It really takes, makes the work really worth it. And I'm so happy with what we've, we've been able to accomplish so far and really looking forward to more growth and more success in the future.
1: Terrific. I like it. Um, congratulations on uh, starting your company. Thank you for spending time with me. I, uh, I really, really enjoyed learning what you're up to. And uh, and good luck getting shit done. I like it.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll let John Bush know that tonight. I'm gonna we're gonna get some shit done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks. For, thanks for
0: joining me. I appreciate
2: it. Yeah, thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Um, have a wonderful rest of the day. You too.
0: All right. Fantastic. Great conversation. So much going on in healthcare uh, that's helping people who truly need it. And uh, Zapparex and, and Zoe Barry definitely uh, had a great story to tell. So thank you. For joining us, Steve Krupa, thank you for leading another great conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. So I have a quick favor to ask. If you have an extra three to five seconds in your life, just give a ranking of the podcast on iTunes and let us know uh, how we're doing. If you have an extra 30 seconds, write down a couple of comments about the podcast and how it's serving you. It'll just help us get a better sense of, uh, of how we're doing. You're also free to just shoot me an email in addition to doing those quick, very quick things. If you want to take a little more time, email me. I'm at tom at It's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the producer of this podcast and the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. And uh, just uh, drop me a line. Tell me what uh, issues we should be talking about, what fascinating people we should be uh, approaching and interviewing on the podcast. So thanks again to everyone for tuning in. And uh, tune in next week for another great tale of innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.